hosting for Two Blokes Talking Tech. Proudly provided by Web Central. Now, it's time for Two Blokes Talking Tech. There is a lot going on in technology, as always. For the latest news and information about technology. It's fantastic to get these speeds on a mobile phone, isn't it? The speeds on this thing are amazing. Two Blokes Talking Tech. Very nice, snappy performance. It's a good phone. Yeah, there's a few pros and cons with this. With Trevor Long from your tech. Now, my advice to people who like this kind of service is... And Stephen Fennick from techguide.com.au. I really like this new service. Gives you that flexibility to hear your music anywhere. Two Blokes Talking Tech. Stephen and Trevor always providing the best advice. Lots to talk about on Two Blokes Talking Tech. This is Two Blokes Talking Tech. And thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. This is episode 167 of Two Blokes Talking Tech. Back after a week in hiatus. Uh, And thank you for your patience as I took a little week off with the family. Stephen Fennick. Uh, from techguide.com.au. G'day, mate. How you doing? G'day, Trev. I hope you're all refreshed and recharged and all that, ready to get into mate, another episode. Going to work on Monday was like taking a holiday from my family. <laughs> I hope they're not listening. <laughs> they never do. As, no, as we, we've confirmed that they yeah. never listen, so okay. that's well, fine. Everyone else is listening. That's all that matters. trouble if she's listening this week. Yeah, well, okay. I'll cop that if she is. Yeah. Anyway, we've got a lot to talk about this week. We do it all thanks to the good people at Netgear. Netgear.com.au. We'll tell you more about them shortly. Let's get into Two Blokes Talking Tech. So the World Cup is over. Germany have won. Uh, it was a big game, extra time. Huge ratings on TV, but a new thing to talk about these days isn't just TV, but but uh, the the social aspect of these things. Uh, social media was overwhelming during the World Cup. Twitter um, are a very smart organisation. We know a fair bit about how they operate, and that they've really nimbly started working with media organisations like TV and radio and, and, and newspapers and stuff to actually you know integrate more. They've been publishing so many stats during the the World Cup. It was unbelievable. Yeah, stats overload. Mm, within minutes of the of the World Cup final, they were able to point out that there was thirty two point one million tweets sent during that game. The peak was at six hundred eighteen thousand tweets per minute at the moment that Germany won the game. Yeah. A, a new record for Twitter. And well, wasn't it the thirty two point one million was was the uh, the most um, that was for the Germany Brazil game, wasn't it? When when Germany put seven one on them. 32.1 was the, the total for, for the final itself, but it wasn't the highest um, of any of the of the matches. And over the course of the entire series, the entire World Cup tournament, 670 million um, uh, tweets yeah. were sent in total, which is huge, right? But then it's interesting, and this is where I think this is a really interesting battle because you can believe the uh, the stats as they, they appear, and that, that's that's a great stat, right? But something Twitter doesn't do, is talk about the people involved. And what Facebook did was launch a whole stack of much more granular data. And they said that during the tournament, 350 million people joined the conversation about the World Cup, generating three billion interactions because you, you with the tweets, I bet you there's a there's a hardcore group of people. In yeah, there. the the tweet oh, like ten it's... times a game. But uh, interesting. No, 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 you're right. And and for Facebook, they're saying it was the biggest social event ever. Yeah. Because you think about it, the, the London 2012 Olympics were the were the social Olympics. This was the social World Cup. But, yeah. you know, the next Olympics will be more social than the last, the next World Cup, etc. Probably another couple of tournaments before it plateaus out and finds its place because the growth in these platforms is huge. I actually, while I love Twitter and I think their stats were great, I don't think they won the social World Cup. I think when you drill it down, Facebook okay. did... Because, you know, these stats are, are unbelievable. They're able to talk about, you know, in Brazil, 
uh, 55 million individual people joined the conversation. In the USA, 48 million people joined the conversation. Twitter won't release those stats because, no. frankly, they don't want to be embarrassed by it. Well, exactly, because they're, they're still a fair way behind Facebook in terms of uh, active yeah. users. But they are growing, and, and like I said, they're pretty active uh, in, in, uh, in all, all countries, including here in Australia, to grow that user base. But I think what Twitter has is people who are really passionate about the platform and tweet repeatedly. I think that's, that's, that, that's kind of the... Definitely. If you did that on Facebook, if, if you, you, you put every second update on Facebook, some of your friends would unfriend you. I had people Twitter. say that to me. They said they had friends that were just saying so much it was becoming overwhelming. I'm like, they need to get on Twitter. They need to get on Twitter, absolutely. That's right. I think that's the major difference here, That uh, and as, as illustrated by these figures, still very healthy on both parts, but... Twitter, and commercially, so more intent. commercially, Facebook knows more. Facebook is able to tell us that 22% of the total World Cup buzz was 18 to 24-year-old men, followed by 25 to 35-year-old men. So yeah. they're able to dig down more, place um, people, whereas Twitter, using amazing uh, algorithms, and I've, I've seen people, companies like IBM drill into data and, and tell you whether your sentiment is positive or negative or whether from what your name is or what you say you're male or female. But in the end, it's not as accurate as what Facebook can do with their data and therefore they can commercialize it so much better. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the big leap gotta, that, that Twitter needs to make. You've got to also remember too that while the World Cup is arguably the largest sporting event in the world. It does run for 32 days Yeah, compared with, like, you know, they, they give you stats for the Super Bowl One or day. Oscars. That, that's like a couple of hours. Mm. So obviously the World Cup's going to attract a lot of people tweeting from around the world, by the way, too, because people obviously following their own countries, their own teams, and they're quite active then. But you've got to remember the World Cup. So uh, good to see that there were still millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people involved socially. Yeah. It's a, it's a great event. And just quickly, too, um, obviously, on the inside, uh, I, I see these stats, but there was an article published on uh, the World Game website at SBS. If I could dig it up, I'd, I'd share it with you in full. But basically, the stats uh, around the internet content for, for the World Cup on SBS, forgetting the TV stuff, which was phenomenal, right? 10.7 million Australians watched the SBS coverage. But online... Yep. 13.8 million video streams were viewed with Socceroos matches the most popular, 50 million pages of World Cup content, and the World Cup app on SBS was downloaded 400,000 times. Wow. Um, you know, this is big. Impressive stats for SBS. Yeah, and, and that's, this, is, this is the great thing when you look at an event that, you know, like the Olympics, such a TV thing, you know, they sell TV rights. Having all of the rights, and I actually think that social and these kind of areas is going to become a really interesting part of the rights negotiations for things like the Olympics and the World Cup. How do, but how do you give out social rights? It's going to well, be like so it's an official account or something. With- well, this oh, let me let me give you this prediction. This is where we will have the next big kind of net neutrality style argument because you know broadcasting rights are stupid. So I've worked in radio for many years, and I've worked with rights holding and non rights holding radio stations for the Olympics. And as a non-rights-holding radio station, you are restricted from doing anything more than, you know, 30 seconds of audio, three times a day, separated by one hour. There's all these restrictions, right? Yeah. And, and I reckon there'll be, there'll be restrictions imposed on, on online content like social because I saw more content from Mashable and The Verge and these kind of places sharing, you know, vi- little mini GIFs and, and video clips of stuff. I reckon they'll, they'll fall foul of, of the, the planned rights 
But I think the problem is the only way that FIFA can crack down on rights is to say to a non-rights holder, you breached the rights, we're, we're revoking your accreditation. And people like Mashable will go, we don't need accreditation. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting little little uh, bun fight. Maybe they could do a thing where, like on Twitter, you know how they got promoted tweets. Hmm. They could have some kind of uh, that give them uh, give them uh, preference in in the in your Twitter stream. Maybe there's all kinds of possibilities. I'm sure that some boffins at the Facebook and Twitter headquarters are thinking about right now. As long as it involves money, you're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long. Now, Trevor, I've got to ask you a question. Do you photograph your food? Are you one of these people? No, I do not. Well, maybe it might be a good idea to start. Oh, really? Because, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big photographer of food either. I think it's pretty indulgent people saying, and look what I'm eating and what you're not kind of yeah, thing. But yeah. people, uh, I think the practice, though, which is a very popular practice nonetheless, even though the two blokes don't engage in this practice, it is still a very popular one. And... Oz Harvest and Virgin Mobile have actually jumped on board and, and come up with a terrific idea. They, they are going to offer anyone who posts a photo of their meal hmm. with the hashtag meal for a meal. Every time someone does that, Virgin Mobile is going to donate to Oz Harvest so that they can actually provide for the needy. It's amazing. It's a great idea. I mean, they talk about 60 million photos being shared on Instagram every day. You can only imagine how many of them are food, right? And it's, it's huge. Uh, and then you turn that around and you say, there's a stat somewhere here that says something like 2 millions, million Australians are reliant on food relief every year. Uh, and, you know, the food agencies probably can't even meet demand. So companies like Oz Harvest do such amazing things. And for Absolutely, Virgin yeah. Mobile to, you know what, they probably make donations all the time. So let's give, let's be clear, this is a publicity stunt to get, um, to get a, a positive reward. And I don't care because I think it's fantastic. Absolutely. And I think uh, when you look at the, well, Oz Harvest, as you mentioned, they do a lot of great work and, and deliver food to all these various, various cha- charitable organizations around Australia. Mm. But what staggered me was the amount of food we waste. Oh, yeah. Four million tons of food a year goes in the landfill. That, that's like $8 billion worth of food. Oh, I genuinely, genuinely wish there was a way. And I, I mean this sincere. It's going to sound like a piss take, but I mean it sincere. I wish there was a way I could share the crap that my kids throw out because they don't <laughs> eat dinner or whatever, you know? There's yeah. so much food that you just don't get through or whatever. And, you and you know, whether it comes down to planning as an individual, as a family or whatever, to, to better rationalize your food, you know, not overcook, not over not overbuy, yeah. um, it's, it does make you think. And I don't think I've ever really thought about food in this sense before. And I, even if um, I don't tweet a, tweet a photo, but I will just for this sake, but yeah. even if I don't do anything, the publicity that this gets to awareness around the need Absolutely. to think about donating yeah. and, and helping organizations like Oz Harvest is fantastic. And I think... The concept here is very simple, as Stephen said. If tomorrow, our challenge to you, and, and hey, do it with, with the two blokes in mind. Uh, take a photo of your lunch, add the hashtag meal for a meal, one word, meal for a meal, to either Instagram or Twitter, and mention Stephen Fennick and Trevor Long, and, and we'll shout out, say good day. But yep. when you we'll do that, as well, we'll retweet it. We'll retweet well. the heck out of it. When you do that, Virgin Mobile is going to give a, a, a meal to someone via Oz Harvest, and that is the yeah. simplest thing 
piece of donation you can give. It is, and and I've written about it on a tech guide, and it's been a very, it's been a, a story that's been shared by other people because they're just helping to get the word out, just as we are right now talking about it on the on this podcast. So, uh, Oz Harvest, good luck to them. Virgin Mobile, good luck to them too for jumping on board. But as you said, it really does give you it gives you an appreciation that the food that we can photograph and share and say, look what I'm having. It does make you think there's a lot of people in the world who don't have that luxury. Yeah, that's don't have the luxury of photographing the food they're going to eat because they don't have the food to eat. So, uh, great way to get behind it. Uh, include your hashtag meal for a meal, and uh, you're going to put some food in someone's stomach who's less fortunate than yourself. Check it out at techguide.com.au. And we do it all thanks to the good people at Netgear, netgear.com.au. And Stephen's going to tell you later about a, a brand new product they announced uh, while I was away on holidays, but it's a cracker. But in the meantime, don't forget also about the importance of storage because your data is both precious and, and very personal from finances to your photos. And you need to make sure it's protected and accessible. So a readiness for your home network will do just that. Store your data and media content in your own private cloud so you can access and share everything you've got easily from any device in your home or frankly remotely from anywhere because you're creating a little cloud on the internet that you can access so then you can smile knowing that you don't have to worry anymore about your important files and entertainment because a ready nas system using the right configuration and the right hard drives will actually back itself up on itself if a hard drive fails it just keeps on chugging along uh, and it's a great uh, to have access to things like music and photos across your network and across your devices you won't look back once you've uh, experienced a network attached storage solution like the ReadyNAS from Netgear. Check it out at netgear.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Now, Stephen, um, there's a bit of news around this week from Apple, and we'll go through that bit by bit here. And I want to talk yep. first about the trade-ins. Now, to be clear, Apple call it reuse and recycle. Um, but let us it's very simple. If you've got an iPhone 4 or 4S and it's in reasonable condition and you want a new phone, take it to your Apple store, They'll give it to a genius, they'll assess it, they'll determine what it's worth based on the damage that it's sustained or how well you've kept it, and they'll give you a value. And it might be up to $250 for an iPhone or up to $215 for an iPad. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot of money and you probably think it's not you know, equal to the value of the phone or something, but you try selling it on eBay and getting a good price. There are services online you can use where you might think you get a better price, great, but for pure convenience... Think about selling a car privately and then think about how easy it is to do a trade-in. You always cop a bit. You don't get the same price, but the simplicity yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah. I think it's a cracker, mate. I'm going to take our iPad 2 that's got a smashed screen just out of curiosity to see if I can get 100 bucks for it. If so, I'm getting a new iPad. It's something anyway. And uh, like you said, uh, you, you can also trade the iPhone 5 um, the, in, in, the, uh, in the agreement as well and iPad 2 to iPad 4, fourth generation, as well as the original iPad mini. Oh, I just can't uh, imagine someone trading an iPad five, iPhone five right now. That's all. Yeah, exactly. It's less than two years old. But anyway, um, the, the, I think you're right. It, it is. Uh, look, Apple are, are really uh, pushing the fact their their environmental credentials. Uh, there is a. I wrote the story on Tech Guide and mentioned uh, the fact that they're, they're, all of their stores are now powered by renewable energy here in Australia. They, so they are quite active in that area. So this is just one other aspect of them able to recycle your device if it's mm. old enough or, or recondition it and, and, and pass it on to somebody else. 
if that may be the case. But you're right, it is um, it is, it is a great way if you're looking to up, upgrade and how many people, when the new iPhone comes out, they're thinking, oh, I want to get rid of the old one. And here's an easy way for you to do it right in the Apple store. You but, think about that queue, right? The queue that goes around the block for the new iPhone I'd love to know the percentage of them that have got an old one in their pocket and are going to cop two. Even if it is an iPhone 5, for the iPhone 6, 250 if it was top value isn't a bad deal. Not too bad at all. You're right. And uh, you can only spend that credit to a new iPhone. So yeah. you can't just go buy a pair of headphones or take it off on iMac or anything like that. It has to be – that credit has to be used towards the iPhone or an iPad. But uh, I think – Apple, they're, they're, this has already begun in the US. It started here in Australia this week. And you've got to think, though, will, will other companies follow suit? Like, will oh, this, do you think? You, you broke up, but I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Samsung. I mean, they need to. I think the, I think the big telcos are going to need to get into this. Otherwise, they'll start losing market share on those. Certainly, they won't get outright yeah. sales. And I wonder whether it'll drive more people to outright sales. So the telcos are actually, some of them are doing this. I think Optus have got a program where you can trade in your old phone. Telstra's got Telstra that every, every that, year thing. Yeah, that, that's. The, I think Optus is going to introduce something similar. So there is a market there for uh, having trading in your old devices. Um, and I think Telstra's, though, you have to pay an extra $10 per month for the privilege of, yeah, of upgrading every you – know, so they're making money on you anyway. And if you accept the upgrade, you're committed to another two years with them. That's so it's right. kind of yeah. – there's catches everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, Optus do offer in-store trade-ins, uh, and so I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of, and especially Apple are coming from a position of strength here because their devices hold value. Hmm. iPads, iPhones, they do tend to hold on to their value. If they're not traded in, they're normally hand-me-downs to other members of the family. So, uh, no, I think uh, this is going to be a very popular program amongst Apple customers. I agree. And uh, if you want to check it out, it's uh, it's on both eftm.com.au and techguide.com.au. The other thing that was interesting, um, two, two other things quickly, uh, iTunes Extras. Now, this was available yeah. some years ago but disappeared. But again, this week it's been launched. Uh, if you buy a HD movie on iTunes, and a selected range of them now offer extras. So if you're on an Apple TV or iTunes on your computer, and it'll come later to iPhones and, and iPads, um, you get that'll some. Be, that'll be with iOS 8. You, you can get some additional features. It's just like the old, you know, extras on a DVD, essentially. And, you know, I bought Frozen for the kids because we've watched it 25,000 times anyway uh, <laughs> on a rental, so I may as well buy the bloody thing. And on Apple TV, I've got uh, a behind-the-scenes making of, and I thought that was fantastic. And um, it's just an extra service that, that kind of drags more people into the uh, digital movie space, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I th- I'm still a big fan of the packaged media, the Blu-rays and DVDs, mainly Blu-rays, because not only is it looks collectible, but you also get those extra features. Now that iTunes are offering that, that's going to bring a lot more people to the table who are interested in that sort of stuff. Mm. And we should remind people, though, that you're still downloading just the movie, and those extra features are streamed through your computer or Apple TV uh, online. So you don't actually keep that other material, but you can stream it whenever you want to when it comes with your high-definition version of that film. And there's plenty of them, including not only the latest releases, I notice even classics like The Godfather are also included in iTunes Extras. So they're really covering movies from all all eras. So if you're a movie fan and you want the extras, good on I, good on Apple for iTunes Extras. I've already up, up iTunes version 11.3 and uh, already did the uh, software update on Apple TV, so I'm ready to go. Ready to rock and roll. Now, the other thing, the final thing 
Frankly, the press release made no sense to me, and I actually had a conversation with someone at <laughs> Apple today and said, look, I don't know what you announced, but well done. Um, but it's essentially a partnership with IBM to work in the business and enterprise space. Yeah. Uh, you might be able to explain that better, but the thing I that's will. interesting here, and you pointed this out to me, is this is a company that Steve Jobs hated. Yes. In fact, I've, uh, I wrote the story and explained what the partnership would involve. It's basically making, obviously... Apple's end game is to sell more iPhones and iPads to enterprise. So big companies will buy 5,000 iPads or 3,000 phones and deploy them in their businesses. So with the IBM's partnership, they're not only going to develop specific specific apps for certain industries and be preloaded on devices, but they're also going to take use make use of uh, IBM's cloud structure and and that and how IT managers can deploy and manage large uh, groups, large fleets of devices. That's sort of it in a nutshell. But I found it very interesting at how times have changed because back in the eighties. Uh, the big blue, as IBM was called, was uh, was hated by Steve Jobs. Uh, in fact, I've put a photo, a famous photo of Steve Jobs outside their corporate headquarters, giving them the finger uh, out, outside uh, that building there. And in and and the that famous 1984 ad uh, for the original iMac back, back in uh, when it was run during the Super Bowl, 1984, the big brother in that ad. Was actually was depicted as IBM. It was it was supposed to be IBM in this whole space. So uh, how times have changed. And you know what I think? Uh, there's a there's a simple little message in there, right? And it is that many people have asked the question about uh, Apple post Steve Jobs and Tim Cook and all those questions. And if there was ever a thing that there's a lot of talk about, you know, should we always ask ourselves what would Steve do? I think we've once and for all confirmed that they're not asking the question what would Steve do. No, absolutely right, mate. I think this is a pure business decision. We all we are already dominant in the consumer space, but here's an area where they they still have yet to make a foothold. There, they well, they're starting to make a foothold. There are uh, other other companies that are also in that space as well. You know, particularly Android as well, because Android is perceived to be the more adaptable system and the more the the the, the system that you can uh, customize to your needs. But Apple, I think, have made quite a statement here with IBM. Uh, they've obviously mended the, mended the bridges and have come together. I think this is going to be a very powerful partnership. All right, check it out. Stacey Stephen says there's uh, photos of uh, Tim Cook and, and IBM CEO there, um, uh, Ginny Romney, and uh, that great photo of uh, Steve Jobs <laughs> out the front of IBM at uh, techguide.com.au. Two blokes talking tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Well, recently I uh, was fortunate enough to t- have a visit to the Grand Factory. Would you believe they still make HPM, which is a famous Australian company, Herman Plastic Moulding, HPM stands for, started in the 30s. And if you've got a light switch on your wall, Take a look. Chances are it was made by HPM. Now they were they were taken over by Legrand, a French company, uh, I think back in the nineties, and they still are a quite quite a big company who uh, make light switches, powerpoints, lighting devices, and and products. Uh, take a look at every your exit sign in your building. It's probably made by Legrand as well. But uh, it was interesting to see and, and really good to know that they still make the bulk of their products in the outer Sydney suburb of Preston's. Mm. I actually did a factory tour and they, they, I, I watched a switch being made right in front of me. It was fascinating. But the whole point of that, uh, of that visit was to get an insight into sort of the ways, the possibilities of lighting 
and the way we use our power in our homes. Uh, it, it was really interesting to hear their perspective of how they're they're uh, they're want to present to the consumer the possibilities that are out there, especially with lighting. Let's start off with that, with LED lighting, which Mm. is something see that we've all heard about and we all know that that it is uh, very much uh, a more energy-saving medium where up to six times less power. Now, uh, they, they they make LED downlights. Now, you know with a downlight, a normal halogen downlight, uh, in any downlight, you don't have one downlight. You normally have 30 downlights because yeah. you need a lot of them to illuminate the room. So you can just add all them up and see what that's doing to your electricity bill. I know I've got a lot of downlights here, and I've switched them over to LED. My electricity bill is ridiculous, and I think that's part of the reason why. So that's just an example of sort of this, we need to change our thinking about uh, about our lighting. And LED offers just as much brightness. Uh, it also is able to be, uh, you can make them dimmable as well. So that was pretty cool. But the other product I liked, and uh, this has been a hit in the Fennec household as well, and I'm sure it'll be any other household that's running smartphones and tablets and other USB-powered devices, Mm. is the new PowerPoint. Now, HPM's PowerPoint has its normal two plugs, uh, plug slots and the switches, but in between them, there are two USB ports, your smartphone and your tablet. So instead of using your little charging block, you, all you need is the cable, and that just goes straight in the wall. I know around here there's double adapters everywhere because we don't need them anymore. We can plug the smartphones and tablets into the wall, and the vacuum cleaner and the toaster can have the other the other ports. So uh, it's really a, a real change for how we use our power. It is. Um, I've got um, I've got similar sockets. I got them from uh, a company called USBsockets.com.au. Um, uh, just the same thing. It's just two USBs in between the the normal old power points, and it is. Remarkable the difference it makes because those power bricks that you've got with a with a cord hanging out of them, you don't need the bricks anymore. You just plug in the cable in, and whether you've got them in the kitchen, the bedroom, or in my case here in the in the studio man cave, it's such a great thing not to find the power bricks and just have cables lying around. And the thing for me, uh, you know, I looked at this some time ago when I was doing the house, and you know, it wasn't easy to find them, but they were definitely available. Yeah. But now, you know, you, you talk about HPM. I've seen Clipsal doing it. Yeah. I've got, you know, there's still these little startups, but I feel sorry for them. They're probably not going to survive in a, in a world where, you know, people go to Bunnings and buy, you know, HPM or Clipsal stuff. They, that's what's going to dominate. That's but, the thing too. You've got to remember that the electricians often make the decision about what you get. Yeah. Like you say, okay, I want a PowerPoint here. I want a light switch there and that's it. And then what they do is they they kind of buy that on your behalf. So I think the homeowner – and the beauty of these things is you can put it – you can fit a switch or a PowerPoint where your old PowerPoint was. It's That's easy right. to, to retrofit them. What what the customers need to do is to tell the electrician or whoever's doing their work that these are the specific plates they want mm. because there are a lot of Chinese knockoffs. There are yeah. a lot of cheaper products, uh, and HPM, their, their products are obviously quality products that have been – I went through their test labs too. They test for safety uh, and, and, and endurance, and all those tests they put them through, they really are stringent with their testing. So you know for a fact that they're safe as well. So I think that you need to probably specify to your electrician that you want that because if you the, the the scenario would be that right you want you want forty four you know fifteen powerpoints in your house mm. and it's going to cost you five thousand dollars then the only way the electrician can make that bill cheaper is to get cheaper wall plates so yeah. if you really want them you kind of need to be proactive and select the ones you want yeah but they are a great thing to have I find I find if you've got a large kitchen kitchen bench uh, bedroom 
we've got we, we we put some in the in the bathroom. We've got a kind of ensuite where not on the wet area, but just above yeah. the the sink and everything. Because I'm charging, man, I'm charging my jawbone in there, right? So I can just plug it straight into the PowerPoint instead yeah. of having to have the power brick there. Great Absolutely. stuff. Um, the thing too is that they can also charge. It's got two point one amp output, so it can charge, charge tablet, tablet as well as your smartphone. Yeah, and and you know what? That's a really important thing to to either know or to specify because if you buy the cheapo one, a is it safe? And B, will it charge a tablet? Because the 2.1 amp is really important. So check out Stephen's story on the HPM Legrand uh, at techguide.com.au and uh, look out for them in stores or ask your electrician to uh, upgrade them for you and use that brand, HPM. Well, mate, very quickly before we do any minute reviews, um, we actually, you know what? I was going to tell you about the NX30. I'll tell you about that next week because I want to get to the minute reviews, but I want to hear about the the event I missed, which was the Netgear event because I was on holidays with the kids. Yep. We've we talked about... We've, we were conspicuous by your absence. Oh, thanks, mate. Cheers. I'm sure they, sure Brad Little mentioned <laughs> me in his intro. Um, uh, the, we've talked about the Nighthawk router for a while. We saw this at CES. It's a beautiful router. It's beautifully designed. It's also super powerful. But this thing, the Nighthawk X6, is intense. Absolutely. Look, this is uh, this is the the beast of all beasts. This one, it's uh, the X6. It's a it's their first tri-band router. Now it's still 802.11ac, which is fast, but it's tri-band, so it's giving you one 2.4 gigahertz band and two 5 gigahertz band. The 5 gigahertz being the faster bands. So that's 3.2 gigabits per second altogether. So 600 on the 2.4 and 1300 up to 1300 megabits each on the two 5 gigahertz band. That's a lot of Wi-Fi. And when you think about it, that uh, they made a really good point at the event to say that, look, do we need this? We, we're not going to put a product out there that people don't need. And you look at the way we're using our devices in the marketplace at home. We've got we've got our smartphones. Everyone like I've got a family of five here. Every one of us has a smartphone. Nearly all of us has got a tablet. Everyone's got a laptop. So you look at all those connected devices on your network, and that's not even including things like online gaming, streaming video, accessing your hard drive on your network. There's a lot of there's a lot of traffic on your network, a lot of activity, and a device like this can help prioritise that traffic, put it in the right band, and give you faster, more reliable connection. And I think that's the crucial thing: is this is not just offering tri-band; this is helping you prioritise across the band. So it's a pretty um, pretty unique product. It is stunning. Uh, you've got to see the photos. Check it out at, uh, at techguide.com.au. Stephen's put the, the news release up, and there'll be a review shortly. But just a bit, I mean, I, don't know, I said to Patrick Lowe, uh, the boss of Nick Gear recently, I said, mate, I don't know who you employed to do, to do your design, but thank God, because routers are so boring, and you've, you, they're just much more interesting now. And I think it's, it's important. Six antennas on this baby. That fold oh. out. Looks pretty good. Looks, uh, it's as aggressively styled as the Nighthawk, if not more. The I'd original. say more so. Yeah. And uh, you got to also remember too, there's a USB two, USB three port as well. So you were mentioning uh, in in the Netgear live read earlier about the uh, the ability to connect from outside your network to your hard drive. This can help you do that. I think this is going to make people realise the possibilities with sharing your data, not only from within your network, but also being able to access it from outside your network. So, uh, yeah, the X6 has got all the bells and whistles you need, all the speed you need, and six antennas. Uh, it's really the the new uh, the, the router to, to beat, I think, at the moment. Tri-band and all, 802.11ac. Wow, it's a speed machine. Techguide.com.au.
Now, before your connection leaves us uh, forever because we're getting bits and pieces of you in this pre-NBN crappy cable world, uh, let's talk minute reviews, mate, and we're going to talk Denon first. Yeah, that's right. Well, Denon is a, a pretty well-known brand when it comes to home audio products, but they've uh, they've uh, got a decent pair of in-ear headphones here, the AHC120. Uh, they're quite small. They're made of special material that eliminates the bass resonance, so it doesn't. There's no vibration, so it's, uh, it fits neatly in your ear, not too bulky at all. There's a little um, uh, con- control on the cable. It's got a single button, so it's kind of a hybrid version which can be used with the iPhone and uh, and Android. One mark against it, it doesn't have a volume control on that on the uh, on the cable. You do need to adjust your volume on your device. But in terms of the of the sound, they've really gone to town on making this sound. Uh, as good as it can. Uh, audio quality is excellent. Bass is is just right. It's not too heavy. Looks kind of like not like your big headphones, where it's very bass heavy. This has got a really nice balance. But they've also got oh, what I like. I try to find the right fit for your headphones is difficult. Your in ear headphones. They've got a few silicon tips in there, but they've also got a foam ear tip that I quite like. It actually fits your ear much like those earplugs. You know the earplugs you get on a plane. You can mold them to your ear. Yeah. It's made of that same sort of material, and not only does it make it a more secure fit, it also creates a nice noise-canceling effect as well. Uh, they've even designed the cable so that it doesn't make any noise. The inside of the cable's got a radial cascade damper so that it doesn't uh, transmit any vibrations or noises if it happens to brush against your chest when you're, when you're walking along. So they've gone down to that much care to offer the best possible sound. It's part of the Music Maniac range of the Denon, the Denon Audio in-ear headphones. also a Denon Audio app as well. The Denon AHC120, priced at $119.95. I rate these. Check out my review at Tech Guide for how many stars I gave it. Oh, the suspense. Techguide.com.au. I'm clicking now, but I won't spoil it. Okay, on the Denon. Backbone anyway, <laughs> iPhone case. Yeah, this is a, this is a, an interestingly uh, interesting design for a case. It's it looks like a like a sturdy case, so that if you drop it, it's going to protect your phone. But it's also a charging case as well. There's a little insert that slides out of the back of the case, so that you can. It comes with a wireless charging stand. So when with the with the little insert that comes with the case, you all you need to do is connect the little wireless charging stand and just sit the backbone case on top of that station and you get wireless charging wow. so it it, uh, it can charge your phone just by resting it on this plate which is very handy so that's got you covered at your desktop but what about when you're out and about and you're running low on battery there's also a battery pack you can buy for the backbone as well so if you're running low all you need to do is pull out the ba- the battery pack which is it's quite small sizes the insert that comes with the uh, backbone case and you don't even need to take the phone out of the case you simply slide out the uh, the regular insert and then slide in the battery insert and that'll give you a full recharge on the go as well so it's got your charging needs your power needs sorted at the desktop and on the go and as you know trev if you're on you know, down to 10%, 5%, they start to panic a little bit. If they've got this by their side, they can get a full recharge uh, on the fly with the Backbone case. I love it. Check it out at techguide.com.au. All right, I'll ring Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, it's 10.30 and we'll get MBN to Stephen's house next week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we pushed through, but uh, great to be back. Episode 167. Thanks. 
to the good people at Netgear. We'll be back again next week, Stephen. Talk to you then, mates. Oh, I will look forward to it, Trev. Good to have you back again. Thanks, mate. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick.